Well, today is the last Sunday of our Visit Sermon Series, talking about why Sundays are significant, and it's also Confirmation Sunday, as you found out from earlier in the service. Uh, But can I let you in on a little pastor secret? Confirmation Sunday is one of the most rewarding and also one of the most terrifying Sundays for pastors. It's one of the most rewarding because I get to see young Christians Christians who are part of the generation who has historically low numbers of church attendance confess that they believe the same thing I do. Confess that they know Jesus is their Savior and they're willing to go all the way to death for him. It's amazing. And I got way more than just these couple words that they said here. I got this whole school year of working with them, hearing God's word, applying it to their life, asking tough questions, and finding good answers. And you know, at the, be- at the end of every class, they would actually like personally thank me for the class. And I thought it was because they just had good parents who raised them right and they're polite. Um, but I actually think they really enjoyed it. Um, we had such an amazing time dealing with some questions that they get regularly, even from their friends now in eighth grade. But Confirmation Sunday is also one of the most terrifying Sundays for a pastor because there are a lot of statistics stacked against these three young Christians. The statistics like LifeWay Research put out about 10 years ago that said that 70% of all Christians who go to, go to church regularly for at least one year during their high school years will fall away by the time they're 25. 70%. That means statistically, of these three, two of them will fall away by the time they're 25. But you know what's the craziest thing about the research that LifeWay put out? They followed up with those 70% who fell away from the church by the time they were 25, and they asked them, did you want to fall away from the church? And 80% said no. 80% said, it wasn't that I had a doctrinal conflict or a personality conflict or the church wasn't doing things that I liked. No, it just, it just sort of happened. I didn't intend to fall away. I kind of just did. Every Sunday, attendance at church turned to every other week, turned to once a month, turned to every three months, and suddenly I wasn't going at all. You understand what that means? That means their church wasn't doing anything particularly badly. They just weren't doing much at all. And if you're thinking to yourself, wow, this is like a super depressing sermon intro, pastor. I agree with you. It is. It's a sad truth that being a young Christian in this part of the world at this time in the world's history is a scary thing to do. But if we can't confront what life is like for Christians at this time in the world's history, then what good of a church are we? So today we're going to take on this question. How can we build up Christians so that they stay in the faith? LifeWay Research actually gave us a couple of clues into how to do it. They said of that 30% that stayed in the church after the age of 25, there were three really big factors for why they stayed. And two of them have to do with what we're talking about today, which is Christian community. They said that one of the top three reasons was that their, their church was active in helping them make big life decisions based on God's word. And the second 
was that those Christians who stayed had a mentor in the congregation who they were not related to. But here's the thing. You didn't need Lifeway research to tell you that. You could have just looked in the scriptures. The Bible's going to tell you the exact same thing from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I hope that we can get around the big idea for today. If you're taking notes with us, it's right at the top of your notes sheet. The big idea for today is that Christianity flourishes in community. And hopefully we'll get that from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 today. Some famous words from Deuteronomy 6, it would have been the Old Testament creed for the Christians, words that young Christians like these three who stood up here would have had memorized. Read from uh, chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is God's word. So this text is going to teach us three things about Christian community, and I'll give you those as we go along. The first of those is the first fill in the blank of our, number th- our three points today, that Christian community is committed. Uh, maybe you didn't know this, but these three who stood up here are all actually pretty good athletes. Daniel's a basketball player, Amanda's a soccer player, Eliora plays rugby. They're all pretty good at it. It's because they're committed to the sport. They've realized even at eighth grade, if they want to excel or at least be better than they were yesterday at the sport that they love, they have to be committed. They have to give a certain level of effort outside of the time when they're actually playing the sport in order to be good at it. And so they make sacrifices. They don't eat certain foods or eat more of other foods. They go to bed early when their friends maybe would stay up late. They're gone on weekends to go to tournaments and games. They're willing to make life changes for the sake of being good at something they love. And it's not like they they don't have friends. It's not like they don't enjoy dessert sometimes, but they understand that when push comes to shove, if they want to be better than they were yesterday, they have to be committed all the time. Not just a couple hours a day or one day a week, all the time. You know, your Christian faith is the same way. God calls you to be committed all the time. And as Christians in North America, we really kind of struggle with this. Um, In fact, the world is noticing how much we struggle with this because we like to compartmentalize our faith into certain parts of our life and not other parts of our life. I I was listening to a podcast recently from a guy who was talking about world religions. And he was saying that it is amazing how across faiths, people outside North America look at people of faith in North America and say, you guys are not as committed as we are. Across faiths, this isn't just Christianity. Christians from other parts of the world would look at North American Christians and say, "Mm, you're not that committed. But Muslims would say the same thing about North American Muslims. Hindus would say the same thing about North American Hindus. Jews would say the same thing about North American Jews. It's it's across the board. Why? (laughs) Well, I'm sure there are a whole host of reasons, but I'll submit one to you that I think is particularly compelling that church or religion in general has become kind of like everything else in our life. 
it's become a commodity to consume. Something I go to a place to get so that I can go on with my life. If you don't think you've been affected by this, I'll give you a test. I didn't make this up. This is from Pastor James Hine, a pastor I respect. But how many of you have ever said the words, I'm going to go to church? If you have, then you're showing a little bit of your culture. Because you don't really go to church. You are the church. The church is not a building. The church is not an organization. The church is people. You can maybe more accurately say, I'm going to be with the church. But to say I'm going to church is to at least imply that I'm going to get something at church that's not really part of the rest of my life. So what do we do about it? Because Moses was pretty clear, we can't compartmentalize. You heard the words, you probably know them from memory, love the Lord your God with how much of your heart? All your heart. How much of your soul? All of your soul. How much of your strength? All your strength. Not part of your soul or some of your strength or a bit of your heart. All of it. There's no room for wiggling when it comes to God's law. And we struggle with this, right? We would rather have a faith that we can be part of for a little while, but then act a different way when we're we're not at church or not around our Christian friends. But what God calls us to is a level of commitment similar to what these three young Christians have to their sports. A level of commitment that is all the time. Now, if you think about these three young athletes and how they got that committed to their sports, I don't think it's that they just woke up one morning and said, you know what, soccer is my thing and I'm all the way in. No, I think it was probably a parent or a coach or a teammate who said, you could be really good. You could push yourself. Go a little bit harder. Spend a little bit more time. See, it turned out what they needed to find that level of commitment to their sport was a community. A group of people who affirmed them and pushed them to be as committed as they are. Let's bring it back to faith. Lifeway said that one of the reasons that those 30% of Christians who stayed in their church when they grew up stayed was that they had a church that worked through big life problems with them from the scriptures. In other words, they coached them, right? They were willing to be there and help them get more committed to God's word. But let's think about coaching for a moment. Because good coaches don't just show up and say, all right, here's what you do, that's it, all right, be on your way. No, good coaches are committed themselves. Good coaches have watched the film and put together a game plan and put together a lineup card. Good coaches are working with their players to find out what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses, what are their best positions, what are their worst positions, how long can they go, what's their endurance like? Are they a scorer or a defender? And I think if if we as Christians want to create that kind of Christian community that trains our young people to be committed, we need to be committed ourselves. So how do we get committed? Well, first of all, we find our own community. We find other Christians around us who can encourage us in our own faith so that we, by our own commitment, our own investment, can lead younger people to commitment as well. But it's all well and good for me to just say, all right, you guys go out and be more committed now. 
I didn't really give you a power source. I just gave you a command. God gives you a power source, though. You know, sometimes when a new coach comes into a team, a sports analyst will say something like, uh, players need to buy into his system. You ever heard this before? What are they saying? They're saying that all the players need to agree with this coach's philosophy. And even if some of the players agree and some don't, that's not good enough because the team won't win. I'm not the coach around here, and neither really are you. Jesus is. And Jesus' philosophy of coaching is being willing to fully invest himself in you, to fully commit himself to your salvation, to literally change his state of being from being just spirit God to God and man at the same time, containing himself in human flesh so that he could die, giving up his life for you, experiencing all sorts of hardship that he never would have had to experience had he not loved you as much as he does. And so if we want to be a Christian community that is committed, we've got to buy in to our coach's philosophy. And ourselves then be willing, when our hearts have been melted by that amazing love, commit to putting ourselves in uncomfortable situations for the sake of those around us. And you heard the way that Moses talked about it, right? He said about the teachings that we should tie them as symbols on our hands and bind them on our foreheads, write them on the door frames of our houses and our gates. It's pretty crazy. It's pretty committed. And I realize it's a little bit contextual with their culture and everything, but the point is that, that you would actually make physical changes in your life to be more committed. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it looks like getting up a little bit earlier so you can go to Bible study on Sunday morning. Maybe it looks like clearing your schedule one night a week so you can be in a small group. Maybe it looks like putting your phone on your nightstand and putting your Bible on top of it so that you read your Bible before you check your phone in the morning. I don't know what it's going to be for you. But maybe it's time to make a physical change so that you can increase that level of commitment to Christ and lead others to that same level of commitment so that all of us can strive to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. So, first, Christian community is committed. Uh, second point, if you're taking notes with us, is that Christian community is compact. I want to focus on verse 7 of the text for this point. The text says, Impress them, the teachings, on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. So first, we need to understand that um, a biblical point of view on parenting is very different from our individualist culture. The way that God talks about parenting almost exclusively is in the context of community. You can see this from the verse, right? It says, impress these things on your children. And all the words in that sentence are plural. You all impress all on all of your children. Yes, this is a primary task of the biological or adoptive parent, but it is also the task of the whole Christian community to impress these teachings on our children. But I want to expand this thought a little bit, because not only do children need Christian community that builds them up, we all really need this kind of Christian community that's impressing these truths on us regularly. I know I've said this before, and I'll probably say it again. Sometimes you guys need somebody who's not me to tell you the truth. Because it can be really easy, whether it's because I'm young or I'm new 
or I'm not living the same lifestyle as you, or maybe because you figure I'm a pastor, I'm supposed to say this stuff, that you don't really want to listen to what I have to say. You need someone else to step into your life and say maybe even the exact same thing. If you have kids, this has maybe happened to you. You've told your kids something like a thousand and one times, and then someone else tells them the exact same thing, and they're finally like, oh yeah, I get it. We need that Christian community, that plural community that impresses teachings on our children and on us. But did you see how Moses talked about this impression on children? He said you should do it as you walk along the road, and you're at home, and you lie down, and when you get up. Just think practically for a second. How many people can you actually talk with when you're walking? Three, maybe? By the fourth or the fifth person, if you're standing in a line, you can't really hear what the other person is talking about. So you have to start staggering like two groups of people and then there's two conversations going on. It's pretty hard to maintain a conversation with four or five or more people when you're walking along the road. Think about when you're at home. I know some of you love to have people over at your house, but they're not there all the time. Most of the time in your house, it's just your family. Just that small group of people who you gather over God's word with. Think about when you lie down and when you get up. How many people do you want around you when you're doing that? Probably not that many. Probably only the people who you trust the most. See, what the Bible is trying to tell you is that Christian community is compact. This summer, our congregation is going to be revamping our small group ministry. We're going to be reinventing the idea, taking some of the things that have worked really well in the past, adding some new things, changing it up, giving outreach opportunities through our small group ministry. And I'll tell you all about that. Don't worry. We'll talk about it all this summer. Um, but as I've been getting ready for this push in our congregation, I've been doing some research, reading into uh, what makes small groups work really well. And I found that one of the most interesting pieces of research that's repeated in a couple different books I've read is that small groups happen naturally and that the church often gets in the way. I mean, think about this. How many times have you been in a large group of people and then found yourself a small group within that group? Literally every time, right? Like whether it's on a team or at your job or at a volunteer organization or even within your family. You have that smaller group, that subset of people who you get along with, who you trust, who you're willing to share with. This just naturally happens, right? It naturally happens at church as well. But I think sometimes the church has gotten in the way of this natural phenomenon of small groups because we've got this idea that we need to love everybody the same and give everyone the same amount of concern and prayers. And that's not wrong. We should give that level of love to every single person. But we also have to be realistic about how many people we can actually invest in, who we can actually go deep with, who we can actually share our life with and trust. If you want a biblical example, think of Jesus. Jesus had literally thousands of people who would walk with him, whom he loved enough to die for, and yet he still picked 12. These are my 12 companions. And within those 12, three, who were his inner circle, his best friends. It's not that he didn't care about the other people. It's not that he didn't love them or give them things or watch out for them, but he picked his small group. And he invested hours, days, years, literally, in these people. The Christian community is compact. And so I hope this summer, as we get ready for new small groups, you think about that. 
You think about going deep with just a couple people. Spending time regularly with them so you can impress these truths on them and that they can impress those truths on you. So that you can grow to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And I realize that for some of you, this is going to be really hard. Some of you are the type of people who would love to just be the social butterfly. Be friends with everybody, talk to everybody, maintain every relationship. This is going to be hard for you. You're going to have to back off a little bit and take more of your time to invest in just a few people. But trust me, it's going to be worth it. Others, if you are on the opposite side, you'd rather not talk to anybody at all. You'd much rather live by the philosophy, I'm here, I'm introverted, I want to go home. It's going to be hard for you to open up about who you are, to open up about what you struggle with. But trust me, it's, it's going to be so worth it. Because God says when Christian communities gather in compact ways, they impress those truths of God's word on each other so deeply that they are as if they are written on their hearts, bound on their hands or on their foreheads, or even part of the, uh, the world around them. Okay, Christian community is committed. It's compact. Last one then. The Christian community is complex. Um, and while this probably sounds like it's going to be the longest point of the sermon, it's actually probably the shortest one. This is actually a really simple idea. I'll say it to you like this. You can't go deep on Sunday morning. You just can't. You can't go deep spiritually. You can't go deep socially. You just can't. And let me explain to you why. Um, if you think that you're going deep spiritually when you listen to my sermons, you've got to think again. And when I study texts for sermons, I try to pick out as many points as I think would be actually really good preaching points, put them on a piece of paper, and then from them pick the points that I think would be most uh, well-received here at our congregation at this time in our history. And that usually means that I have anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half of material, but I can only preach for about half an hour. I've got to cut out at least half, if not in some cases two-thirds, of the amount of things I could say about a text to you. Which means that if you're just hearing my half an hour of preaching, you aren't going deep. But if you have that hour, or that hour and a half, or at even two hours to sit with other Christians and look at that text, or look at another text, you can go deep. You can ask the difficult questions. You can banter back and forth and figure out an answer. You can share life experiences and how this has worked or not worked in your life. But the other truth is you can't go deep socially for three reasons. First of all, you just don't have the time. I mean, for an hour at least, you're sitting here not talking to each other. And then usually, even though you make a little bit of conversation afterwards, the majority of you leave within a half an hour or so after church. I mean, maybe if you're staying all the way till one o'clock when our permit ends here and you're working with each other and talking, you might have the chance to go deep. But even so, there's just not enough time to really go deep. You've heard me say this before, quantity time leads to quality time. This is true in your marriage, this is true with your kids, this is true with your God. Quantity time leads to quality time. You can't just snap on quality time and say, now it's quality time. No, you have to invest the hours to make quality time. And more often than not, you can't do it on Sunday morning. You need that extra hour or two in the week to go deep. Secondly, 
it's not private enough here. One of the great things about our congregation is we all kind of know each other. But that also makes it really challenging if you want to have a serious conversation with somebody here at church. Because we have a great culture of kind of I walk up into your conversation and sort of join it and we're all happy about it for the most part, but that's not going to work if you're sharing your soul with somebody. And so you just really can't go deep on Sunday morning. Third, you're just not in the right mental space for it. I mean, you've just worshipped. You may be thinking about what the sermon was about or the, how much you loved the song. Or maybe you're thinking about what you're going to do after church and how you have to get out of here to get in the car to make sure you make it home to change to do whatever you're going to do. You're just not in the right mental space to go deep with people here. And so you need that extra hour or two during the week to go deep with people. To get to really know who they are, what they're really struggling with, how the life is really going. The Christian community is complex. It's not as simple as, hi, how are you? Let's read a scripture text and we're all good. It requires wrestling with the scripture and wrestling with real relationships with real people which is hard. Any of you who have been married for any length of time know that your relationship is complex. Maybe it's really good, but it's certainly complex. But those layers upon layers have built a relationship that is unlike any other in your life. Now, I'm not saying you have to get that close with your small group, but I am saying that that level of investment in other people will lead to amazing returns socially and spiritually because God says so. He says, do it while you're walking on the road, right? Those long walks, not just the walk from the parking lot to the store. No, when you take half an hour and you go walk along the lake or through the neighborhood, at home when you're sitting down to dinner over food, right? I challenge you all to invest that time into the complex nature of Christian community because I think it'll be totally worth it for you. Now, maybe you're wondering, I thought this was a sermon series about how Sunday is significant. And basically, the whole Sunday, you've been telling me that Sundays aren't that significant and that I should get in a small group. And you're right. Uh, But if you don't have what's going on here on Sunday mornings, you'll never be able to get that kind of relationship in your small group. You know, the Bible uses two metaphors repeatedly to talk about what Christian community looks like. The body and a building. And in each, it says that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone or the head of that body or that building. And I don't know if you've noticed this about bodies, but all the parts are intimately connected. They don't really get to be separate. They don't really get to go unaffected by the other parts of the body. I don't know if you've noticed this about buildings, but if you have space between the bricks, it's not that great of a building. When the bricks are pressed up against each other, sometimes grinding against each other, sometimes holding each other up, the building does its job. I pray that you all could be like living stones built into a spiritual house with Christ as the cornerstone. I pray that you all could live as the body of Christ with Jesus as the head. Because that's where Christian community starts, right here, by hearing about who Jesus is and what he's willing to give up for you so that we can buy in and commit our lives to leading other people to that same love. So two next steps for you. I want to challenge you this summer to think about getting in a small group. We're going to preach about it a lot. We're going to talk about it a lot. 
And I think it'll be really rewarding for those of you who are willing to buy in, to go deep with people in the difficult and the good parts of their life, to study scripture with them, to understand their perspective. And secondly, I want you to reach out to the young people of our congregation. Because that second way of the top three that LifeWay Research said kept people in the church, I think is still true. That you have a mentor in your congregation who is not related to you. I pray that every one of our young people could have someone in our congregation that they look to as somebody who could speak truth into their life, who has grace for them when they fail and commitment to them when they're not exactly pleasant to be around. Can you be that person for a young person in our congregation? There were three of them right here. They could all use it. There are numerous other ones sitting out here. I can see them. Many of them sat up here. Would you be that mentor for them so that our Christian community can flourish? I pray that you will. I pray that you start by making Sunday a significant part of your life. Because Jesus rose on a Sunday, the word and the sacraments, the ways that God gives us his love and forgiveness are here on Sundays. There is a liturgy that always teaches you that Jesus is for you, despite your sin, here on Sunday. And what I hope our Christian community can be in the next coming five or ten years is going to start on Sunday. I pray that for all of you. Amen.